It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Comic like a clown, no ghosts, all pages. Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like a mate. Storytellers, we some fellas, we some felons in the mazes, acapella, vericella, cause this shit is so contagious. Mouse on the summaries, compiler, got the show, while the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro. Keep the babble, we the rabble, don't step to the squad. We get active, and haters like a cephalopod. You don't like fish talk, do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the taping. Greatest five stars if you cherish your life. Bucky Barnes hit squad spraying lead in your pipe. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Is This Just Bad? Is This Just Bad? The best podcast you never heard of. I'm your host, Professor Miles Road, as always by the Sea Cosmologist and Teddy. And today we'll be talking about Is This Just Bad? A zombie Apocalypse. <laughs> Trash or good? <laughs> Trash or good? <laughs> Brain-eating mushrooms. Trash or good? This is a very, very, I think, simple moral episode. <laughs> the sort of broader subject matter of the last of us yeah, so this is our last of us episode i watched it uh i had this um to just frame it out a little bit i had that one of those scenarios where you go you know where you're uh, you're beholden to watch something with a partner but they're constantly fucking everything up and by that i mean just like not getting on track with it and so then you just have to abandon it honestly it's kind of like a metaphor for the show it's like she got bit you know what I mean? And she, <laughs> the the cordyceps were infecting her brain, and I just had to kind of leave her behind. She's in the 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 Capitol building in Boston, and I'm over here in Wyoming. You know what I mean? <laughs> so wow, wow, that yeah. is that that was. Are you a yogi? That was a stretch. <laughs> the, the, the binge waits for no man. Yeah, no. It just you you sometimes you can't wait for people to 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 watch them. Cosmologist, you watch stuff oftentimes with your partner. You have said that in the past that you are usually the one who is the like dragging things out. Is that? Yeah. Well, so what happens is and it's kind of the opposite of what you're talking about, where um, my mall will start something and it with the understanding that it's going to be trash. And then she'll get like a season in and it's good. And then I'm like, well, now I want to watch it. Right. And and luckily, um, she really believes in the value of rewatching things and discovering new stuff. I mean, and you know, case in point, we've now rewatched we've watched Supernatural like two, maybe three times through. Wow. Keeping in mind that that is fifteen seasons long. Um, and on my second complete watch through, I felt like I learned a lot more and I got a deeper appreciation for it. And maybe it's, you know, the Eric Kripke cordyceps infecting my brain and I've got totally nuts. But, um, but I'm very lucky because she will doesn't mind like just rewatching the first couple of seasons and I'll jump in. I did the same thing with teen wolf. Um, you know, these kind of like genre shows that seem like they're going to be kind of goofy, but they're very addictive. So, um, 
but I almost exclusively we watch stuff together. So uh, once she's decided that it, she'll kind of beta test it and decided that it's actually uh, actually good, then we'll we'll jump in together. Yeah, no, we're in a we're in a holding we're like we're in a weird period where um, she's returning more to like pre quarantine levels of socializing in Ooh. person. Um, and that's fine, but like I, before the quarantine, I socialized outdoors in public with other people a lot, a lot less. So I like, yeah, my thing was like, maybe like, I don't know, like 70, 30, maybe 60, 40, no, like 70, 30. It's like 70% of the time I'm going to stay at home. 30% of the time I'm going to go out and hers is inverted. And so, but it is that mm-hmm. weird thing where like during the quarantine, you just did everything together, like when you're hauled up and yeah. And so now it's like, there's literally not enough time to do all of that stuff. And so I've watched like several television shows without her. And I've had to like watch movies cause like the Oscars came up and I was just like, I can't wait for you anymore. I have to watch the Banshees of Inishir and like, I can't wait for you anymore cause you're going to a happy hour. And I watch this movie. And so it's been like that. And that last of us was like a peak that where it's like, this is a cultural phenomenon. There's you have to watch it now. Like, cause it's happening serially and mm-hmm. Ali is coming up and you know, they're, it's, they're deviating from the game enough where it's like, I, I do need to keep pace. Otherwise it's going to get spoiled. A bunch of stuff did get spoiled for me because I was waiting so long. Oh no. Yeah, and so that was like, I think that was the last straw where I was like, I'm just going to fucking binge this. I watched like, it was depressing. I watched like five episodes on a Saturday or some shit. Oof. Yeah. First five episodes. Not, not a, a show. Yeah. No, no, not no, no, a show no. That you really want to be binging. No, I watched the first two episodes like back. Like she watched the first one with me. And then she was like, I don't think I'm going to watch that show. And then I watched the second one. And as I as I finished the second one, she was she like came in the room and she's like, oh, you watch that show. I want to watch that show. People are talking about that show. And then that's where the, the long break happened. And then I was finally like, I'm going to have to watch this without you because I, it keeps getting spoiled for me or whatever. And then I watched five episodes after like two weeks or three weeks of not having seen it. Um, and then I caught up right before so I could watch the finale live. Okay, yeah, for us, it's been a matter of it's like a little late on Sundays. And so I just basically we watch it immediately after work on Monday and I can't look at Tumblr at all yeah. <laughs> until that time. Um, and so it's yeah, there's, there's a couple of shows where the intersection is like all the Tumblr girlies are posting about it. And so um, that's the stuff where Maul's like, no, we, we got an appointment. We got to watch this so I can get back online. Yeah, <laughs> right, fair enough. Teddy, Teddy, what's your um, like, like, what's your watch pattern? Are you a binger? Are you a week to weaker? Do you like to take your time? Do you like to get in deep? So more recently, I've become very much. A, I, I like to say more of a marathoner because it's I that that gives me the ability to switch between races uh, because I've been like I went went through uh, the last season of Stargirl. Um, I mm-hmm. just finishing up like interview with a vampire. Nice. I watched all of this other show, Discovery of Witches, which 
I was expecting to be trash. I'm like, I need some trash to like turn my brain off for a second. And then it got good. And I was like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, damn it. Yeah, this has been my now problem I'm too. Committed. Yep. Wait, and this is not the Mayfair witches thing. This is something else. No, this is something else. Uh, I'm saving Mayfair witches because I haven't heard great things about it, but that might be the one you turn your brain off for. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. But uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, that's that's how it went. Where I went. Oh, I have a solid five hours after work. I'm gonna watch The Last of Us and then just oh, plow through. That's so brutal. Yeah, there are some shows we're, we're finding this now. We completely, by the way, missed that. Um, the last season of his dark materials showed up with zero fanfare and basically zero marketing and is fantastic. And we'll want to come back to that eventually, but that's a show. And the last of us is a show that, and we'll get in when we get deeper in. There's some shows that really understand how to make individual episodes still, as opposed to the thing we complain about all the time is like the slices of the broader, like, you know, you can't eat just one. It's just a movie chopped up into 45 minute increments. Last of us, is addictive and incredibly engaging, but I think that each episode feels like a unit. It feels like a contained story. And so it's more satisfying for me anyway to watch a single episode at a time, and it is overwhelming and too sad to watch too many of them in a row. Yeah. Actually, that's a really interesting point in terms of uh, built-in processing time. Like, I feel I agree with you in terms of the Last of Us gives you a unit to process in each chunk. The uh, House of the Dragon didn't. Like after a while, it's like if you watch too many of those, you gotta stop and be like, "I'll come back to this in a couple weeks," you know, instead of being able to uh, keep pace with the show. So that's the first question for both of you, I guess. Is did you find that each individual episode of Last of Us felt like a contained short story, or for you, was it a matter of like? I finished this chapter. I got to go to the next one. Um, yeah, and every, every episode featured Joel and Ellie in a way that, you know, I, I have to give a lot of credit to the last of us, like the video game. Um, this is a very strange cultural artifact where this is based on a, a very cinematic video game like one of the first video games where it felt like you were playing through a movie. Um, There were sort of other games like this. I think Resident Evil 4 might be one of the pioneers in this regard where there were like, I don't know if either of you played that game, but in that game, there were like whole stretches where you would be in this sort of like scene and your only interaction was to hit a button at the appropriate time to like execute (laughs) a move or like some kind of interaction and you would like go through entire scenes and entire fights and entire interact, just like doing that kind of thing. And it would play on these like really cinematic ways. And last of us picks up on that, but is even sort of more so, um, so wildly cinematic. And so for me watching or sort of like watching the show, the, it is, it, it is so similar to the game in ways that, make me question like how much credit Craig Mazin should get because oh, interesting. functionally what he did was not fuck it up. I mean, there are certain, 
and 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 I say that as somebody who like is really really critical of Craig Mazin's like politics. Like he doesn't convene writers' rooms. He has this whole thing about I'm an auteur and I do this shit all by myself. And as a result, like he ends up breaking a lot of like WGA things or like really stretching WGA like rules and union rules and shit like that. This whole like um uh, like auteur driven um creator based uh multi part. Uh, television or um, uh, limited series shows is like undercutting writers rooms and like really undercutting the labor movement in Hollywood because these people are like geniuses or whatever. And so they don't convene a room and that's like, you know, whatever, 12 less jobs for people. Um, And then they'll do like fuck shit, like having people read like drafts and shit and them not getting credit for that kind of stuff. It's like, Ooh. really a weird kind of thing um for the uninitiated what are his other projects so craig mazin and I, this is the only reason i know is famous for being the writer of the scary movie franchise <laughs> he, okay he did i believe scary movie one and two he was a part of the good scary movies um and then and he dabbled in the comedy space for a long time, but his resurgence was Chernobyl and Chernobyl was a limited series about the Chernobyl disaster um, where he started this. And by all accounts, he has a really, really bad reputation among um, labor leaders in the WGA. Um, he also like has bizarre politics uh, when it comes to like war and shit like that. <laughs> Oh no! Somebody. This is interesting because yeah, he's like totally invisible to me. Because as far as I'm concerned, you know, Neil, not Blumenkamp, whatever the oh Druckerman, Druckerman. I'm just making up last names now. Yeah, the 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 video game guy who is you know on at the end of the credits of every episode of this, just adapting his own work. It feels so much like his baby because i mean i've seen tumblr posts that just compare shots from the video game and shots from you know the show and it's just the same dialogue and like uh pedro pascal's looking off in the same direction even like the camera angle's the same yeah yeah neil Druckmann is 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 the guy's name um yeah no and and, and it is it is true like there are certain I mean, you got to give Craig Mazin credit for like the Bill and Frank story. Bill and Frank are characters in the game, um, but their story is 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 heavily abbreviated. And it's not like that at all. Um, it is a poignant moment where um, Bill, who is a survivalist, finds Ellie and Joel and then takes him to his house. And then you find Frank there ha- having committed suicide. And so like Mason fills that story out. Um, and so, I mean, he deserves some credit for fleshing out like really powerful moments of the story, but then there are yeah, other. And where I don't want to skip over that. That episode is brilliant. It is. Yeah. I mean, um, it made me cry, made me laugh, made me, you know, think about life and the meaning of, my existence it's like deeply affecting and the sort of episode that you could almost show to people in a bottle without watching the rest of the show just as like a little short film piece of art it's beautiful yeah yeah it's great um and yeah so he 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 fleshes out part of parts of the story that are sort of like you know um 
uh, glossed over in the video game or or that don't, don't really serve a function because there's no reason, there's no way you could play that in a game that would be satisfying. And I think that's a mm-hmm. good part of, of this adaptation is that they understand what parts of the game to sort of uh, flesh out and what parts of the game to just not, don't touch them. Like the Tess um, death is handled very similarly in the video game. And that's a very pivotal moment in the game where you, you know, have grown to really like this character. And the whole conceit is that the three of you are on this quest. And like very quickly it happens where it's like, oh no, that's just going to be the two of us. Um, and they do, and they do that really well in the game. Cause even when they introduce test or in, in the show, even when they introduce test in the show, you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. She's badass. She's very capable. She's like super competent. Like she knows her shit. She's going to stick around for a little bit and no, she's in out in two episodes. Yeah. Um, and that makes sense because it's the player character is there the whole time and it's an action sequence and it's something that would be gameable. Whereas, like you said, the what are you going to do? Just like hang out and watch Bill and Frank's life? Um, yes, in a TV show, that's exactly what I want to do. In a game, not so much. Well, I think yeah. it's an interesting. Going back to what you all were uh, talking about before, when it comes to the role of, of somebody who made the scary movies <laughs> and then made Chernobyl, one of the things that I think that actually brings to this project is the fact that he can go hey, let's watch all of your cutscenes and make that. All right, how do we make this make sense with, as you're saying, the parts where the player has that agency, how do you still deliver those lines? How do you get Joel from I'm driving a truck to his daughter's dead? Because you, in the game, you get that perspective. I Maybe spoil <laughs> Oh, they know about spoilers by now right. but in the game i i only played the maybe the first hour of it and the wild thing is it's very affecting it, like it changes your perspective as joel as the player character they were able to adapt those moments and still elicit a certain amount of the same emotion without the same amount of agency which i think is a an incredibly fine line to walk. Like the Mortal Kombat movie, movie did not do that with any of the games or any of the yeah. like canon. You know, yeah, that's a great point. And you know, when you watch the like the first episode, like oh yeah, a little sequence where uh, before his daughter dies, they're in the truck, like looking around as things start to fall apart around them. Like I can see how that would have been shot in the games. There's there are a couple of, like. POV sequences that look exactly like video game camera work and then I stopped noticing those uh, and it didn't feel obvious and it didn't feel hackneyed in any way and it didn't feel like you know oh this is the racing sequence or this is um, what about no, the you whole found finale. one that you what about the whole finale where where Pedro Pascal is mowing down dudes in a way that is impossible Oh, at that point, I just thought that was badass. And I was thinking about, like, it gave me, like, Punisher vibes. Is it specifically because it's a dude gunning down people in a hospital, I guess. If you think about um, season two of uh, Daredevil, where he first appears and guns down people in a hospital. Um, yes, I mean, that was kind of a, a clever homage to even the way... And this is the thing that bothers me 
in most movies that we don't see the person doing the shooting uh, pick up a new gun or reload ever. Right. And so his like uh, inventory switching. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Made me happy. But but it is totally video game. It is like gameplay insofar as like (laughs) you kind of take turns shooting at each other from behind walls like mm-hmm. like very the, i think the game came out like 2013 this is like very sort of like 10 years ago gameplay where we had reached the point of like the idea of taking cover so it's not like you're max Payne or, or you're playing dead to rights and you're just running down a hall with like two uzis and shooting everybody like the splinter cells had come out and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and so you are like taking cover and stealth is an element of the game and you see that so obviously in the way that they're shooting like yeah you scrolling through his through his it through his like uh through his hud getting out new guns reloading hiding letting them shoot three times poking that out shooting progressing down the hall progressing through the level like that is it 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 was very striking to me because i also sort of noticed that there are two moments. That was one moment. The other moment is when you play as Ellie. And that is a huge moment in the game where it's like, um, fuck, Joel is like dying. And now you get to play as Ellie. Because for most of the game, Ellie is sort of just like following you around. Um, and there is that moment where you find that 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 cult where, where Joel is dying, where you get to play as her in the game. And having the perspective of, of Bella Ramsey in that in that moment was 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 really cool. Um but yeah, it, it is it is weird and I just want to correct the record because I gave Craig Mason uh credit for writing the good scary movies. He did not. He wrote scary movie 3 and 4. The good ones are uh. one. <laughs> so <laughs> he also wrote a, a spoof called Superhero Movie, which you can imagine. Oh, I saw that. It was not good. <laughs> oh, it had one good line which was delivered by uh the evil golfer from uh Adam from uh Billy Madison. Okay. Oh yeah, Shooter McGavin. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, so Shooter McGavin says uh coughs up blood into his hand and somebody's like what's that and he goes don't worry it's healthy cough blood. That <laughs> is the one good line in a 90 minute movie. Yeah. Oof. Wow. Uh, that's interesting because I was going to say when you gave him credit for the good scary movies, I was going to point out this this show is funny. Like the the humor, it, it, it's got a really good uh, balance between, you know, total existential horror and massive depression and moment to moment comedy. Uh, and apparently that's not his doing. <laughs> it must be it, in the game. The game is also very <laughs> funny, too. He he also is adapting borderlands i think what craig mazin has done is brilliant um because all of his work and i'm looking at the other stuff because i'm actually now looking at his thing at his filmography and i'm very familiar with his work because i've seen most of these movies um among them scary movie three and scary movie four haven't seen superhero movie but we have someone to attest to that and the hangover sequels part two of part three um, he also wrote The Huntsman Winter's War, so the sequel to The Huntsman, um, which was really, yeah, really that. Was... Yep. And so he has taken, like, all of these stories are original screenplays. And what, what, when he really starts to hit his stride in his career is when he um, does Chernobyl, which is adapted from something that happened in, in real life. 
then The Last of Us, which is adapted from a massively popular video game with, you know, cinematic qualities. And his next project is, and they shot this already, he wrote Borderlands. Borderlands which is famous for having a ton of dialogue in it already. Wow. Yes, Borderlands is a massively cinematic video game that is fucking hilarious already. And so you just kind of go in there and, and don't fuck it up. And I think his process is more being a steward of intrinsically interesting adapted material, which is not a knock because like that's hard to do, obviously, because so much shit with the mortal combats of the world have been adapted in such a shitty way. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Does this man managed to succeed where David S. Goyer has failed. I, you know, I don't know. That's this. He might, he might be the new David S. Goyer. He, he is now also picking up the, the wreckage, no pun intended of the pirates, uh, franchise hmm. he's, he's doing pirate six um you know what i think would be a great test for him to see if he is the the whisperer for video game adaptations hmm. if he could do metal gear solid uh Ooh, wow kojima basically makes just really long movies which yeah. is a limited series i think that would be, of course mads mickelson will be in it of course gotta yeah. be. of course uh redis will be Anybody yeah, that he has a special relationship with will probably be in it. Yeah. You know? So anybody Kojima has been crushing or crushing on for the last decade. Um, yes. That's brilliant because those I went down like a Wikipedia rabbit hole on Metal Gear like maybe a year ago. <laughs> They're nuts. Yeah. Um, and they I have all of the, yeah, the like the super soldier stuff and conspiracy stuff that I love in a comic book style world. Um, that's a great idea. Kojima in Metal Gear Solid, I think it was two, um, has you play as a character uh, who has lost all his clothing. And so he's running Make around. Snake. <laughs> it's not Snake. It's the other guy. It's um, oh, I not Raiden. You, yeah. Yeah. It's an R name. Lightning Cyborg. Yeah, yeah that guy. Um, and he's running around with his hands over his dick. And but. <laughs> still do all of his moves so you can still like jump and flip and stuff and when you flip <laughs> like <laughs> you don't see his dick but you see him like trying not to expose his dick um and then that game also has a has a moment that uh caught mostly everyone who played it off guard including myself which is um there's like a, a breaking of the fourth wall so you're like in infiltrating this fortress and the security cameras start going off and then but like the security cameras start going off but then your fucking screen starts to flicker and like go in and out and have the fucking uh white noise thing and then there's like turn the game off now turn the game off now prompts that are happening and you're like what the fuck and then i turn the game off and then i had to go on like dial up internet for half an hour to load a page to be like is this normal <laughs> and it, it had just gotten everybody um and so his game was the precursor. Really yeah, those those are fantastic. And like the that didn't happen successfully again until I was like the first Arkham Asylum game, where uh, Scarecrow starts to break your Xbox. <laughs> uh, yeah, just fantastic. Those are those are hard to pull off. But no, yeah, Teddy's totally right. The the Kojima verse is so bizarre, but so compelling and so deep that that would be a really great test for is this sort of thing adaptable? But it is got it's very cinematic and it's got so much stuff in it already 
that you, as long as you don't fuck it up, you could build something really exciting. Yeah. So, well, back to your question about sort of watching the experience of watching the show. I mean, the show is, is, is largely sort of self-contained, like it, the 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 broader framework of the sojourn across the United States, like the fucking post-apocalyptic United States, going from city to city, meeting characters, and having those 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 moments be sort of like encapsulated in a single episode or an episode and a half, um, is a really it's a really clever way of structuring a show. It's episodic, but it's also levels, like video game level. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm that are are very distinct and discreet and they have you sort of engaging with several characters who inform both of the protagonists sort of like identities and have you feeling all different kinds of ways about them based on their interactions with those people and so like it is it is it's such a great trick that the game and the, and the show play where it's like, God, fuck Ellie is an asshole. Like I am not fucking with her at all. At like at the beginning of the show. And she's like an annoyance at the beginning of the, like, just, this is sucks. I don't know why I'm doing it. And then it sort of slowly starts to change over the course of the, of the series where it's like, Oh no, Joel is a fucking problem. Like Joel is a, is a, as an actual nightmare problem. Um, and it has like a lot of unresolved shit. And obviously he's not in the most ideal circumstances. Um, but the finale sort of drives that home where it's like, yikes. Um, I don't know, Teddy, how did you feel? Overall, when it came down to being able to, I, I mean, I, I'm still thinking about your uh the perspective switch of Ellie and just how brilliantly it that was played. Uh, just being able, you you can see the growth from uh, Bella Bella Ramsey. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and just being able to watch that type of emotional character growth from this actress was incredibly captivating. Um, I mean, I I, I I'm, it's it's there's not a lot to say in in contrast to what you're to uh yeah yeah the show's really good <laughs> it's really good it's it is really very good. much not trash <laughs> yeah no it's it's really good um you're totally right uh interesting to, so question because i have not played the game um where we end at the end of season one where is that in the timeline of the first game that's the whole game that's the whole that's game yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and yeah then there's a sequel that has a time jump um so they did a last of us two Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the, the, they've already been sort of talking about, well, not they. Um, the internet has been sort of speculating on how they'll do it because Ellie is significantly older in the, in the sequel. Yeah, so I read about this because, in fact, Bella's been playing younger than she is. Um, she's 19 now, playing a 14-year-old. Um, they had her in a chest binder for the majority of the show uh, to help out the um the age issue and so she is now you know it's it's like the the harry potter movies thing where you know they couldn't make them fast enough to keep up with the kids growing up they actually caught 
Bella Ramsey at the right age where she can just play young enough to do season one. And if they make season two soon, <laughs> um, she's the right age to to play Ellie after the time skip. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah, but but she, but the, the guaranteed paychecks, hopefully she yeah. is. Well, the the creator said we're locked in on her. She said, yeah. I'm locked in on doing this. Like everybody's happy to they're not recasting her. She's going to look like a kid until she's 30, though. Like she's never not going to look like a little girl. I think that that's just kind of how she looks. Um, it, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's odd because we're all been introduced to Bella Ramsey in Game of Thrones, where she was like, like, like a legit kid, uh, but like a mm-hmm. teenager, though, and has not appreciably grown since that, like in her face and, and, and in the sort of way that she has matured. And so it is strange. It, it's going to seem like with, with all of those sorts of the ways that they made her look younger in the first series, she's still going to seem like incredibly young. And the difference in the video games is that she's appreciably much older and like taller and stronger and like been through some shit. Um, and is and is has obviously been hardened and like toughened by all of kind of get Bella Ramsey to like work out like hell and get super jacked. Bella <laughs> Ramsey becomes an MMA fighter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, as we've talked about that, that Hollywood diet is real. I've seen a couple of recent pictures of Jake Gyllenhaal for this uh, Roadhouse movie, and he is shredded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's shred city. Um, but that dude is on a cycle for sure. Yeah, they just got to get her on some PDs. <laughs> yes. God, um, that's ridiculous. So, but that's so interesting because it's an interesting place to end a game. It's an interesting place to end a season, which feels both like there's a lot of a lot more story they can tell, but it didn't feel like a huge cliffhanger. Like I felt satisfied walking out of the end of episode nine, being like, okay, like I can I can close the chapter on this story. I'm happy for it to come back whenever they're ready, but I don't feel like I'm totally left hanging. So that's good to know. It's because of the end of the game. So the question is, is there a lot more in the sort of in between the lines that they want to do? Do like, you know, a season two that's like a 1.5 between the first game and the second game? Or do they just jump directly into game number two and, you know, try to tease out a little bit more? In terms of spoil, well, uh, it... Spoilers for the game, I guess. Sure. Um, one of the major characters, the antagonist to, I, semi, anti-hero, but mostly antagonist. Uh, you see a lot of her backstory. So season two could ostensibly start with her backstory, and then you run into Ellie and Joel. Mm. Uh, mm. In the beginning of the game, at least from when I have seen my housemate play it. It's been, it starts off in, from Ellie's perspective, and that's kind of the tutorial map. But the advantage to these miniseries is you don't have to do that. You can, you can explore the rest of the world and not be beholden specifically to the same plot or story beats. Yeah, if they have opportunities to do, right. If they have the opportunity to do more sort of fleshing out like they did with um, the, bill and frank episode where it's not stuff that you would necessarily play through but it's interesting world building um how much of that uh the episode seven the flashback with ellie's first love 
is in the game. Do you play through that? I don't remember. I the only time I really remember playing only as Ellie is in the David uh in the David shit where she like kills the cannibal religious guy. Mm-hmm. That I don't remember. And that's also not resolved in the season. I can't remember I don't remember that character. I wonder Okay. Because, I mean, if that's just another example of them fleshing out a bunch of new information that wasn't in the game, they're doing it brilliantly. I mean, I didn't expect the a single season to have two different flavors of heartbreaking queer love story in it. <laughs> and I'm glad they weren't back to back because it would have just broken me entirely. But they're really, really good. So yeah, I'm not no, opposed to having more of that. No, Riley is in the game. Yeah, that flashback is in the game. Yeah, the whole... Okay. Yeah. Um, the uh, So this is the one thing I'll say to the sort of like Last of Us 1.5 thing is that I think that I think Craig Mazin is smart enough to know that that would be a horrible idea. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think there's much he can do without some kind of strong source material to go off of. Other thing about Last of Us 2, and I haven't played it because so everybody like really loved the last of us when it came out it was a huge phenomenon it was like a console launcher for the ps4 um i remember seeing it in a museum of like video game narrative like the the, the height of Mm -hmm. uh, there's a traveling exhibition about video game as story over time and like that there was a whole you like walk through a shadowy corridor with weird mushrooms on the wall and then you see a gameplay video and it was creepy yeah um so big deal a huge deal, huge deal, monumental achievement. And um, so so people were waiting on the sequel for a really long time and it came out and it was like massively divisive. Like yes. Star Wars, The Last Jedi level divisive where they're, they're like, Neil Druckmann doesn't even understand his own characters. Like this is a bastardization, blah, 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 all this. Um, and so it's weird because the success of the television show is very similar to the success of the video game and the prospect of 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 adapting the second part which is so controversial and is controversial precisely because it is like not the last of us that we all love mm-hmm. ever. and i haven't played last of us too because i've been sort of like you know turned off by the responses to it um but mostly because I haven't had time. And after this this season of television, I, I want to go and, and play the game. Um, and so Neil Druckmann has come out and been like, we know we hear you. We're not changing anything. Like we're gonna we're really? gonna because he's got a George R. R. Martin situation here where he has the opportunity to it's not fix but, the mistakes, try but again, but unless he doesn't think there are any mistakes. But it wasn't it's really not, a mistake in the bad, yeah. It's controversial. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Just a bold move because they change controversial stuff. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. To the choir right. Point. But no, you're right. He has, you know, every reason in the world to file down the rough edges, but he doesn't have to. <laughs> That's going to be really interesting. But you're absolutely right. So, uh, Mouse, you were, I remember you telling me about um, Handmaid's Tale, where, you know, season one maybe is really strong. And then as soon as they run out of original material, from yeah. the book, they just kind of fall off a cliff, right? Yeah, I mean, Hulu keeps renewing it. Um, 
but when we were watching it um i remember we we thought season one was incredible and poignant and spoke to a lot of sort of like um sort of like persistent american social issues and stuff like that and and was like really 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 affecting and touching um and really did strike a balance you could tell that there was there was some broader source material well thought out sort of guiding it um because there was like a balance because it's such a grave story and there is a balance between like you don't live in that you don't live in the mm -hmm. misery the whole time and margaret atwood is a really great writer and 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 imbues all of her subjects with a lot of complexity um and nuance and stuff like that and so yeah there the whole overarching story is horrible and it's dystopian and shit like that but just like last of us there's like moments of relief and and it's not all doom and gloom the entire time um and then once the source material sort of ran out and they started to to, to develop their own sort of modern story it just became doom and gloom all the time like the things that happened to elizabeth moss progressively get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse um and it's just a fucking drag to watch like it's not it's not enjoyable in ways that and i'm not saying like enjoyable like it satisfies like my I, I ideal of escapism like not enjoyable in terms of like being just like onerously bleak and you're like mm -hmm. uh, who uh, who cares you like i, I yeah, well, i think yeah, that's a great, great comparison point because I think Last of Us has the exact same uh, risk, right? Like that could be just it's melancholy as is. It's kind of you know depressing to watch too many at, at a time, even though it's funny and clever and light in places. Without any carefully balanced material to prop it up, it could just be you know just bleak, unending. How do you? feel about the politics of this show because my sense is that Craig Mazin took Craig Mazin is like a, a I would characterize him as a conservative and I think that this source material spoke to him in a creative way because um, it, it is I feel like saturated with a lot of both sideism um, where no one is right. The fireflies aren't right. The uh, Fedra is not right. No one's right. Ultimately, Joel's right. Or maybe he's not right. Ellie's right. Or maybe she's not like that. To me, I think is a. I think it's an intentional like non stance that the show takes. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I sort of disagree with that. I'm sorry. I, go, go for ahead, it. Kyle. Oh, I was going to say, I would, I would disagree only in unintentionally. He makes a very good argument for mutual aid and like non-capitalist, a, a non-capitalist society in every major area that they visit. It's awful, except for the one place where they leave and go, I mean, we're leaving the this world's version of a paradise the communists who the, the self-identify as communists yeah the ones who are like no we're communists 
that was the one place in all of in in the eight hours that was f- sort of functional outside of Frank and uh, yeah, Bill and, and Frank. Bill. Who... Well, and and that's the he's a libertarian. He's a prepper libertarian, mm. and that literally only works until his partner and he die, and then it yeah. no longer works. Anymore. So I wonder. I mean, I think it's to us obvious that that's the only one that works. I think that it cloaks itself in a lot of both sidesism in order to be broadly have broad appeal. And so if you the Bill and Frank episode is fascinating because it shows a couple of things. I think the the absolute limits of, you know, Bill is the best version, you know, like the Batman of libertarians, right? Like he's the absolute prepper extraordinaire. Um, and you see the limits of what he can accomplish. And the limits are without another human to care about, he's just like depressed and lonely and his life sucks, even though he's safe. Mm -hmm. And with someone else to care about, he's able to carve out a little bit of safety and a little bit of security for him and like one to two other people. Um, And it dies with him. And that's kind of it. Um, And if you're a libertarian, that might be exactly what you're looking for. But at a broader sense, the people who are able to like flourish and continue are the ones who do mutual aid and work together and also have figured out how to restart a dam, which helps. Um, Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, Yeah. I. Hmm. So we're talking about the Wyoming, not Pittsburgh. We're talking about the Wyoming folks. Wyoming, yes, yeah. the Wyoming folks. Um, the Yeah, the Pittsburgh folks, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, Joel has a whole thing about there were basically two ways of looking at things. Some people wanted nobody to own anything. Some people wanted to own anything. I was in the middle, and he has a little joke about contractors, which is very funny. Right. Um, and that is, I, I love him saying that because it's it's a very clear distillation of like, the American everyman sort of, you know, middle of the road, mythical, undecided voter. But it also he's flawed. And so it's good to have that being uh, expressed very explicitly in the show from a man who is a complete mess. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's, he really is an everyman. He's got a lot of trauma. He's got a lot of toxic masculinity. He's not, you know, really able to resolve anything, but he's he's kind of doing his best. And then he passes through a bunch of different sort of almost, you know, Rousseau-esque like um, scenarios of let's see what happens when you get different kinds of governments. Um, And the fascist side doesn't really work out. And the, you know, so cult side doesn't work out. The cult side doesn't really work out. And the only to us. And so I think we're coming from such a bias and such a perspective that's like, well, obviously the communists are the only ones that are able to be successful. But looking totally objectively, they are also the only ones with a society that is like approaching some kind of normals pre apocalypse normalcy and sustainability. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that could be unintentional to his politics. Like if Orson, uh, Orson Scott card, awful politics, but 
anti-child soldier book that he meant to be a rah-rah child soldier book, you know? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and and there's like a way that you do identify with Joel. I think that that is the clearest distillation of Craig Mason's politics in the show is that line about the like the just sort of the moderate take that Joel has of like, mm-hmm. I just did my job. You know, like I just did my job. I think Craig Mason probably identifies most with him and with Bill as people who are like rugged individualists making it work, you know, in yeah. in in a society that is it is. Yes, perhaps it is set up for people to fail, but there are exceptional individuals um, who either, you know, be through their like intense work ethic, make ends meet um, or even beyond that, achieve some kind of like utopia in the case of bill um yeah no it's it's it is fascinating and it seems also like the functional utopia of the libertarian juxtaposed with the internal strife and politics of the communist commune is sort of like also telling as well of like this is not an optimal political sort of format or organization um this one where there's no government and no hierarchy, that's actually like the best that we can achieve. I think yeah. we, we well, also, so, oh, sorry. I'm just the internal strife of the commune. Like the one in Wyoming seems to be fairly conflict free. Um, the only conflict is when Joel shows up and they have to decide like, are they going to go or not? The one with like the oppressive Fedra's running stuff or, the fireflies have taken over and now they're running stuff and that's not working either. Um, that feels like the thing about the folks in Wyoming is it is very much the original definition of communism, small C commune, right? It's their ability to expand is limited. It, it It's hard for that to work at a very large scale, but they have some infrastructure that helps. Um, whereas and but they're a fairly small community, a um, couple hundred people. And then the larger cities where you're like, well, here's a, you know, big C Stalin-esque communism style state that every one of those falls apart and the mushrooms eat them all. Yeah. I don't know what that says. So go ahead, Teddy. <laughs> oh, uh, I was just going to compare uh, the apocalypses in The Last of Us and in Bird Box. Um, okay. I know it's a few years ago, but. Bird Box very much represented a quote unquote libertarian idea from uh, ideal for pretty much all of the show um, until maybe the last couple seconds where they're just like, if you libertarian hard enough, eventually you'll find a nice little section of your own thing. But the thing, uh, uh, to spoil Bird Box, at the end when they end up to that, uh, 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 rest, uh, refuge, the blind kid refuge. That seems kind of like another one of those, oh, but it really works better when we're taking care of one another in this confined <laughs> space. But in the earlier parts of Bird Box, you have this uh, John Malkovich's character being like, no, don't let anybody else in. We know the rules of the world. They're going to take all of our stuff and kill all of us, which happens uh, like 90% of the show is very much you're playing out that libertarian ideal and for a certain extent in the world of the show they're correct 
until the end when they're like, oh, actually, a mutual aid society is sort of better for all parties. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, there's a couple of I want to go back to it. So thinking about, okay, Joel represents the this writer's basic politics, probably. Um, What do we make of the very end? Because you've got the sort of moral ambiguity of, all right, the fireflies might be able to create a cure, but at the cost of, you know, killing Ellie. Joel will save Ellie at the cost of murdering this hospital full of people. Um, and we don't know if the cure, cure is going to work, but to me, and I just watched an episode of Enterprise that does the similar, and occasionally you know, Star Trek will have these moral quandaries of somebody has to sacrifice themselves. And for me, the the core issue is Ellie was robbed of her own choice. Like, that's the problem, is we ne- we're never going to know unless it's explained in the second game, what she would have chosen. And because nobody asks her and the adults try to make the decisions for her, everybody dies. Um, and that's like sort of where the the irony and the tragedy lives. Did you feel that way? Did you have a strong opinion about obviously Joel's right or wrong? Yeah, no, I think it is. The, it's just It's just choice. It's, and this is like, the military, the freedom fighters, the, you know, who like all of these groups eliminate people's abilities to make choice. They eliminate people's ability to you know, express themselves. They ability, they eliminate people's ability to move. They eliminate people's ability to act on their own behalf. Um, and that is true sort of like in any of these groupings like you have to give something you have to always sort of um take into account or um contend with external forces on your free will and it happens to ellie at every at every point every moment of her of her journey is typified by somebody who is trying to either eliminate her ability to make a choice or eliminate her ability to exist. <laughs> like, and I think that that is the ultimate betrayal. And that's why it's so poignant is that Joel does that to her as well at the very end. Cause it's like, it goes from losing Riley or, or it goes from being in Fedra and being a recruit, not wanting to be there, losing Riley, getting caught up by the fireflies, not wanting to be there, getting stuck with stuck with these two people not wanting to go with them, you know, all of the things that happen in between, like seeing all the repression in Pittsburgh, not wanting to stay in Wyoming, not wanting to go with Tommy, wanting to go with Joel, going with Joel. And then, but like, ultimately there's that moment where Joel's like, we don't have to do this. We can turn around. And she's like, no, I want to do it. That's probably the clearest articulation she has of like, affirmatively, I want to do this thing. And the, the ambiguity comes in when Firefly doesn't tell her what the fuck they have to do because they also eliminate that choice from her. And so that's a great point. And it's so tragic because the other clear distillation of her making a choice is when Joel's like, you need to go with Tommy. I can't protect you. I'm a fuck up. And she's like, no, 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 I choose you. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful and sad and poignant. And so you're right. Like she, she makes a couple, only a few active choices for herself yeah, and yeah, the the damning nature of both Joel and the Fireflies never even giving her a chance to choose 
is like the worse than the choices that they're making somehow. Yeah, because it 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 feels like she would have chosen to get the to die. Yeah, I think so too. Especially if you've watched, I, I watched both uh, the the last two episodes back to back. Okay, so it, it gave a very specific through line context for how how Ellie was going through the entire episode of I'm making my decision, I'm making my actions count, and Joel slowly going. This child has gone through too much to just not survive, which is it's a interesting juxtaposition, especially going into a second season, which, at least in the game wise, uh, you take over Ellie takes over as the driving force of the game. So it's it's a very interesting bridge. Yeah. Cool. So. So where I think we're all on the same page then that, you know, Fireflies made the wrong decision by robbing Ellie of agency. Uh, Joel made the wrong decision by robbing Ellie of agency. At that point, I guess the question, it doesn't even matter if like, does Joel killing all those people make things better or worse? Because the real problem is we only got into that situation because nobody asked him what she wanted to do. Right. Well, yeah. They, they, there is the other layer of he's also probably condemned humanity to die out because now there is nobody to make a cure. Right. And if we think that the, you know, the doctor he shoots in the head really is uniquely suited to do this and is Ellie. I mean, we, we understand that Ellie has this ability because she got her mom got bit while she was still attached to the umbilical cord and being born and like all that stuff. And that's like hard to replicate. So maybe somebody else in another part of the world is having a parallel development but yeah maybe not maybe it's just it yeah i mean she ugh. i i don't even know yeah cuz that that's the other element too where it has there's also no guarantee that it'll work like mm -hmm. it is a a a sort of like it's a it's a well-informed idea, but it is an idea. And they have to like crack her fucking head open and like peel open her brain and <laughs> remove the cordyceps or whatever. And, you know, uh, she, so she's toast after that. And then if it doesn't work or if you fuck it up, like it just, there's so many other variables as well in it too. Like it's such a small, small percentage chance which is something that the show doesn't do enough, like, I don't think foregrounding of too, because then it makes Ellie's choice even sort of like more complicated and her potential <laughs> saying yes, even braver too. Cause it's like, we could kill you and then this, and then like still live in this hell. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, it feels like a much simpler choice if it's like, well, it's going to definitely work. Right. Like, yes. You'll die, but good, good to the many outweighs the good of the few. Um, and that's actually, um, you know, there's a part of the reason season three of Enterprise is bad. It's immediately post 9-11. They know Battlestar Galactica is popular. They dive into this like conservative kind of war. Like it, it, it's and the antithesis of kind of the ethos of Star Trek. But they do an episode where 
they got to clone the engine. Engineer's been is in a coma. They can make a clone of him that only lives for a week in order to harvest his brain to heal the actual engineer. And so the clone grows and starts to get his memories and is functionally an uh, exact copy of the engineer who's in a coma. But he's going to die. And then he like makes a sacrifice to be like, yeah, I don't you know, I don't really belong here. But the the real engineer that I'm a copy of does. But it's a very, very simple choice because he's going to die in like two days anyway. And there's a 100% chance of success of if we scoop out your brains and give them to the guy in the coma, he'll be fine. And it's not complicated as a result. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. What do you make of this? This is something I thought at the end of the show. And not enough zombies in the zombie show. Like, Interesting. what the fuck are all the clickers? Like, because when you play the game, they're everywhere. Like, there's infected everywhere. Like, you have to you have to fight through a zombie apocalypse, essentially. And then, like, all of the all of the 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 people and the and the and the relationships that you build therein are sort of like rooted in this in this or, or sort of grounded in this reality that's like beset by at all moments by potential like life threatening danger um with the exception of the flashback to riley after st louis and uh the the big bloater do yeah. we even see another clicker is that it i think that's it yeah because then it's the cannibals and fireflies and i think we're just kind of done with it. they just stop showing up but i only until just now didn't even really notice. Yeah, it's it's super weird to at least to me. I and I think that's probably okay. So do you think that it that is a one of those like man is the worst enemy of them all kind of things of like let's yes. do apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. I do, and I think about like you know how many zombies do you actually see in Night of the Living Dead? Like, there's a couple of scenes with a bunch of them all at once, and then most of the movie is just the people in a house arguing with each other. And it's great. Right. And yeah. it's that same, like, you get the atmospheric conditions of, we know there's a ticking time bomb on this, we know there's danger on all sides, but it's really about the people. And, like, those are always my favorite zombie movies are, you know, they're in the background, man, and being terrible to each other is what makes a drama tick so for me it works and i wonder if this is also really a um very conscious effort to be like we're not the walking dead and so we want to like shed the like there's walkers all the time and just to do the little character studies works for me uh, what do you think teddy well i honestly it works for me in the walking dead is a great jumping off point if we compare the walking dead comic to the show a lot of the Walking Dead show after a while becomes a weird deviation from the story where they're they're padding more and more with the walkers. Whereas with the clickers and something like this, it would get old in an episode. Like the formula would wouldn't hold up because it would be all right, now we have a zombie break every X amount of minutes versus Here's the character studies of survival of danger. It's it's it almost feels like the Martian in certain ways because 
most of the show they're like hypothermia and starvation are the things we are staving off right now in the woods. That's a great point. And in fact, I think it goes back to our original thought about adapting the gameplay elements. Like if the basic uh, gameplay loop, you know, the idea of what, what are you doing from a moment to moment basis when you're playing the game? And a lot of those like shooting clickers. Well, you're not playing the show. So you don't actually need that gameplay loop to keep you invested and keep you doing stuff here. It's a passive experience. And so if what we're here for is basically the cutscenes. And between cutscenes, it's like clicker fights. You just don't really need the clicker fights. Counterpoint. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't do enough cool shit with like 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 costume design. They there are so many weird zombies in The Last of Us, like different kinds of zombies, like. The clickers are one like the infected are like the regular. And then you have the clickers that have the fucking brain head things. And then you have like the big mm-hmm. dudes. Yeah. You just don't see that. Um, so, I, yeah. Well, in a, in a different counterpoint. Uh, if we were looking at a property like Resident Evil. When we've seen a lot of these Resident Evil films. Uh, well, if we look at the Mila Jovovich ones. They start really going into the character design elements, and it's not a great cinematic universe. Uh, uh, whereas here okay. we, it doesn't fall apart as much. Uh, we even have uh, in the reboot of the uh, Resident Evil movies a, that you have a lot of different character designs of those zombies, but we're also in the first 10 minutes of the world's apocalypse or the first. Uh, first 12 hours of the world apocalypse, you know? Yeah, I disagree that it's yeah. not a great cinematic universe. Yeah, we know in, in Mouse's <laughs> house, we only love and respect Mila Jovovich, and that's fine. Yeah, that's fair. No, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I know Dallas multipass, gotta love her. I think, you, yeah, that is the opposite end of the of the spectrum is, is the Resident Evil movies is just zombies that look cool. <laughs> it's always obvious. Yeah, and, right. you know, everything else is like, who is anyone? Like, what do they want? <laughs> I guess to just survive. Like there's nothing going on. Um, it's like the underworld franchise to it's like vampires and werewolves. It's just kind of like, don't you like how cool this thing looks though? Cause I know that you're asking me a lot of questions about what's going on. What about how <laughs> cool this looks? <laughs> right. You're like, okay, good point. What's happening though? It's like that kind What's of happening thing. is a cool thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um now I'm now I'm thinking about these adaptations. It would be cool to see a sh- uh, a uh not Last of Us, a a fusion of The Last of Us and True Detective but make that Resident Evil where yeah. every season is a different Resident Evil genre. Cuz cool. once we get to Tall Vampire Lady that everyone want the internet wants to step on them. <laughs> you know, we, we, we've been printing video game money and HBO is perfect for that. Yeah, HBO is the, is the perfect home for Lady Demestricu. Demestricu, I don't know how to say her name. I didn't even say the name and you knew exactly yeah. who I was talking course, about. I'm on Tumblr, I know. <laughs> um, yes, you're absolutely right. I didn't even know uh, that, that she was good home for it. I thought she was just tall vampire lady. <laughs> you need to go on more of the internet. <laughs> uh, or less of the internet? Oh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, fair. fair. Um, yeah, she's great. But and, and HBO is the perfect home for her. This was so I mean, consensus, show's great. Um, I 
particularly appreciated its uh, focus on character study and its episode, truly episodic nature. Everything's got a, a contained beginning, middle, end. They all work, and I think you're totally right, Mouse, because they work as levels as well. But it um, it's a really satisfying experience, and I'm really interested to see where we go next, given that the second season material is so controversial. It's going to be fascinating. We'll probably get it in, like, 2025 at this point. Just, you know, quick point, though. It 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 seems to me like HBO has cracked something that is like fucking so glaringly obvious why this always works. And that is just having strong source material and strong creatives. Mm. That's it. Like there's no fucking mystery to what they're doing. They identify great source material and they identify great creatives that's it i just don't understand why there's so much bad television there's so much bad television everywhere and like amazon did it to a degree they're like the boys and eric kripke this is gonna work and it fucking does yep. like it it just always works that way where it's like foundation great source material Let's get David S. Goyer on the line. That show sucks ass because he's not good at, you know, anything, I, I guess. And it, it just like the Wheel of Time was also like that. It's like, we got some great source material. Let's get people who don't know what the fuck they're doing. And then everybody hates it, which is also. An and then you got Invincible. And yeah, Seth, yeah. Green, uh, Seth Rogen and those. They do and all every even the writer was uh able kirk was able to pull from his experience on the walking dead and be like hey y'all let's do one better mm -hmm. yeah yeah no it just it is it is so and and hbo also knows when you don't have source the strong source material and you do have creatives how it can go bad see the last like two seasons of game of thrones like this is which is why they should definitely not do Last of Us 1.5. Everyone yeah. wants it. And it's just not worth guessing. And maybe that does like foreclose a lot of um potentially creative projects. Like, because in 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 that sort of formulation, everything is an adaptation and there are no new original stories written for television. So you don't have like the Sopranos doesn't exist in this world. And it should, right? But in but in the world that we live in, succession exists and White Lotus exists. Right. And, you know, so they're they're able to I think you've you've nailed half of it, which is stop pairing good material and bad creatives or bad material and good creatives and weighing them down. Um, HBO has managed to mostly figure out the secret sauce for find a good creative with an original idea and do like a White Lotus or a succession. And critically they're also ending succession on its own terms. Right. Yeah, yeah. Next season is its own season. It's going to finish when it finishes. And critically, uh, His Dark Materials, three books in the original trilogy, three seasons, they're out. They're done. They're not trying to milk it. They're not trying to extend it. You get exactly as much time as you need, and then you walk away. Yeah, yeah. That's hard to do because they want to make money. But, like, that's what makes good art is 
having clear boundaries for what you're trying to accomplish and not just spinning it off forever. Yeah. Well, The Last of Us is going to win every award in the next, <laughs> uh, in in the next, next cycle. Emmy cycle. Um, Does it count as a limited series since they haven't announced a season two? Like Loki, I remember, showed up and Disney was pushing for like limited series awards and then it got a season two and they're like, uh, we got to move categories. No, Last of Us is a television series. Okay, um, it's nine episodes, so I guess you have to be like six or fewer or something to be a limited event. Yeah, yeah. And and I think also like when you do a show like this, I, I'm pretty sure the WGA has rules about what it's supposed to be. Um, and everything that I'm reading here on IMDb and stuff lists it as a television show. Um, okay. yeah, so it'll be in, it'll be in competition with every other sort of like ongoing television show, which is honestly stiffer competition. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think everybody like Pedro's going to get his Emmy. Bella's going to get an Emmy. Mason's going to get several Emmys for writing, directing and producing. Um, there, you know, there's going to be like, uh, guest actors, Offerman. It's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. Offerman yeah. and Murray Bartlett are going to be in the same category. So only that's Bill so sad. Frank can win. Yeah. Yeah. But truly, if you give it to one, you sort of whoever gets it should probably pull the other one up with them and accept the award together because it doesn't work. It's a two hander. Yeah. Uh, what you need to do is split the difference and have Megan Mullally go up and accept the Emmy for convincing Nick Offerman to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like I feel like well, I don't know how nominations work, but Murray already got one for White Lotus. I feel like he he might be That's a fair. to just dropping out of the race. But I don't yeah, know just... if he's allowed to do that. Um <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, it's going to yeah. The, and then there's probably going to be guest stars for some of the women as well. Um the woman who played Tess was really good. Like it's just going to be a clean mm-hmm. um which is reminiscent of the Oscars this past Sunday, where everything, everywhere, all at once, won everything, everywhere, all at once at the fucking Academy Awards, and and people feel some kind of way about it. I I don't know. Have have both of you seen the movie? I did, and I didn't like it. Okay, well that's bonkers. Le- or sorry, <laughs> Teddy. Uh. Did you see it slash like it? Uh, I have not. It seemed a little... Well, so I've seen everything everywhere all at once. The whale, it just seemed like a lot. And I was like, you know, I... <laughs> oh, oh, the oh. whale. God, yeah. I mean, that, that's a whole bunch of whole controversy about they won't actually cast fat people, but they'll give the awards to the visual effects makeup people to make somebody look fat and like... Uh, that that's it delves into it feels like kind of a regressive uh, especially while Brendan Fraser was out Hollywood while he was n- not even a a lot out of weight just kind of and then suddenly he loses weight and plays a, a well so this was going to be my take <laughs> on the Oscars entirely like I'm I'm torn and it's like a She Hulk situation of having to be in the same camp as people I don't like. I'm, to be clear, very, very happy for Brendan Fraser and Michelle Yeoh, and I'm going to get his name wrong, who played her husband in Everything Ever All at Once. Yi Hui Kwan. Thank you. Uh, that's fantastic. 
for you know these people who absolutely deserve awards. Um, and you know, in Quan's case, the heavily publicized was in everything everywhere all at once. Nobody would cast him for anything else that whole rest of the, the following year, and he lost his health insurance mm-hmm. um, because he, he couldn't get another project. And so, you know, the 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 direct correlation between you get an award and suddenly people cast you. Everybody who got awards, those actors, they're awesome, and I'm very excited to see them in more projects. Whether or not I believe like the project they were in were any good, like I'm very happy for them to get the exposure, get the recognition, break the records, and do more cool stuff. What What was your problem with EEAO? Um, I thought it was just kind of empty. Um, I read some articles about the Daniels like working backwards from uh wanting to do like a bunch of cool YouTube video style effects, and I think the effects are cool. Um, and it just didn't resonate with me. Uh, and I found that. They spent so much time explaining the rules of the world, which, again, I'm in the minority of, like, super geek. Like, I know the way multiverses work. We've been talking about it on the show for years. And so, like, exciting to, like, get it in front of a wider audience. But I felt there was a lot of wasted time talking through all of the very minutia. And it maybe it's what we talked about last week of the um, uh, shoot. Uh, the effect of that writer, his name on Harmon, Dan Harmon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. His sort of like, the joke is nihilism. Okay. Seen it before. Not excited about it. Um, didn't find the relationship between the mother and daughter to be. I saw a lot of people being very affected by it and gifts of it on Tumblr. Um, and she never really actually apologizes to her daughter. Uh, and it isn't the sort of kind of um, breaking of generational generational trauma that I had hoped for. Uh, and so didn't get me to where I wanted to go. Even if it is a uh, realistic depiction of like the Daniels experience with their emotionally stunted parents or whatever. Um, yeah, no, this is this is crazy to me to hear because one of my uh, friends and colleagues uh, said the opposite thing. Of uh, the that the movie is too oversaturated with joy, it's too sincere. The relationship is too cleanly um, mended at the end, and the sort of like discussion of generational trauma is so systematically um, through all of these sort of multiverses, cleanly wrapped up with this sort of like um, uh, pretty banal. Can't you just Google her? Well, and that's interesting because I do agree with that. And Quan, especially his character is entirely like joy and like, oh, the healing power of like being goofy, I guess. Um, And that doesn't work for me. And I think you're right that and that person is right of like the end conversation in the parking lot of like, um, well, you're a fuck up and I'm a fuck up, but I'll always choose to be with you. And like, that's enough trying to like just sort of sustain the family unit. What didn't work, that feels to me like a fake non-apology. And I guess you're the person who said that is identifying a similar issue, but coming to it from a different perspective of that feels like a too clean wrap up. I also think it's a too clean wrap up, but I don't identify it as like an actual solve, whereas they're identifying it as a simple solve 
but we're saying kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think it happiness is good. I think people should try to be nice to each other. <laughs> I, 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 I feel like so too. I don't think it's a replacement for real uh, real excavation of trauma, though. I'll send you, this is funny, and this is how I know, like, the way I'm in bizarro world, um, because we talk a lot about in the podcast on how much I hate the New Yorker, and how much, you know, sending a New Yorker reviewer to a superhero movie or to a sci-fi movie is always a recipe for disaster because they've decided they've hated it before they even walk in the door. And I read a New Yorker review of Everything Ever All at Once, and I was like, I agree with this, and I get what this person's coming from, and maybe... Yeah. My brain is broken, but I'll send it to you and you can read it. Well, I, so, so my feeling about everything everywhere all at once is my the same feeling I have with The Matrix, which is is fucking cool. And the idea is simple. Like The Matrix is not a it is a complicated idea, like the idea of like living in virtual space. And contending with sort of like the liminality of the internet and also like all this other shit that's happening underneath the surface and then all of the sort of genres colliding at the same moment to create that movie um and what the wachowskis did so successfully in the first one which they couldn't replicate in the sequels was like simplifying it to its bare essentials there's bad guys and there's good guys and the, and the good guys gotta win but it's gonna be very hard for them <laughs> Because these guys <laughs> have glasses and their ties, um, and, <laughs> and and for me, everything everywhere all at once operated in the exact same way. Where it's like, because so this is why I didn't think it would win any Oscars because I think that the movie simplifies the idea of the multiverse in a way that is rooted in genre and in a way that is rooted in sort of elemental human relationships, and that's it. Like I think that. Mm -hmm. On, I, for whatever reason, people interpreted that movie differently than they interpreted something like The Matrix, where I feel like that's the comp. And so for me, I didn't go in with expectations about this thing blowing open the multiverse for me or saying anything profound. I went into it being like, oh, God, the fucking trailer's cool. Short round is kicking people's asses. Jamie Lee Curtis looks weird. Like, what's going on here? And then you go in and you have fun, you leave and you don't think about it again. But I understand. This is, yeah, this is really good because that's exactly the right way to approach that movie. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I waited for months to see it, saw everybody like losing their minds about you know, how it was like a transformative experience to watch it and went in with those expectations and had the exact same experience you did, which was, oh, it's cool looking. It's basically the Matrix. It's very simple. Right. <laughs> but then I had all the extra baggage of but all these people seem to think there's so much more here and there isn't. It, right. There's no there there. It's, yeah. you know, big empty donut. That's the joke. There's a big empty donut, a big bagel, and like in the center of the movie because that it's kind of an empty circle. But it's sweet looking. And that's and then I would I would never think about it again except that yeah. all these awards somehow. Yeah, the, the awards were uh, confounding to me. The idea that Jamie Lee Curtis won an award for that movie. Teddy, when I tell you that she spends 30% of that movie stapling papers. I'm not exaggerating. Like that is I mean, I've I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. No, oh, I, I thought you said I, I, I hadn't seen it. Sorry, sorry. Oh yeah. no, I said I've seen it. I, I think I don't know. I'm in a I'm in a weird camp where I I supremely enjoy silly. And oh, so, here here's an it's example. It's a very silly of, movie. Then it's very silly. And 
one of the things that certain Oscar movies mess with me or movies that win awards tend to mess with me is they take themselves so seriously and not in a I'm playing it straight and that's where the silly comes from it's a herm I'm taking Birdman mm -hmm. I was the only person who laughed when Edward Norton says I'm out there every night putting everything on the line and I found that hysterical because I hung out with theater actors Birdman's and, really funny and it's really funny <laughs> everyone else in the theater was like Oh my goodness, an exploration of acting. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, this man's a dumbass. Right, exactly. But then it, the thing that really did it for me with everything, with that movie, is the fact that you get a, I found it really nicely profound where you can say, hey, nihilism, but silliness still exists. Like, even, <laughs> even Nietzsche probably laughed at a fart joke at least once. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so you I know, think you're you're both coming to it from exactly the right place with it. It's just like a silly little movie. And if yeah, that's all it were, <laughs> that would be fine. Um, and but for me, because I had all of these like this baggage coming into it, I'm watching and be like, I love Michelle Yeoh. I love these fight scenes. I would rather be watching like three other Michelle Yeoh Kung Fu movies um, because when I you know, I'm, when I'm going for spectacle, the the artistry and the beauty of the kung fu like i'm all into that and when i watch one of those movies that's all i'm there for and it's fine mm -hmm. and i'll get like pleasantly surprised by crouching tiger occasionally but it doesn't need to be because i got no other expectations but this movie had so much build up mm -hmm. and so the fact that it's walking away with a bunch of awards the award you know best editing yeah obviously that is, a, I'm totally in support of it winning the best editing Oscar. They do a lot of editing in that movie. Um, yeah. It's very cool. That's the kind of like, it should be like on the Avatar level of best visual effects, best design, like that kind of thing. It's a technically proficient uh, task. Right. Although and that's I, all it is. I think Top Gun Maverick probably should have won best editing. Like we haven't gotten to a point in the Oscars yet where they can actually take the blockbusters seriously because like, the craft of that movie is outstanding. Um, and yeah, it, it, there's this weird thing also that's happening where you don't award people when they're due. And so you have to do it in, in a year the where makeup they awards suck. win. Yeah. And it's like, fuck, dude. Like, Kate Blanchett is better in Tar than Michelle Yeoh is in Everything Everywhere All at Once. She just is like objectively but she can't win that award and i understand but it sucks for her because like that's her and so three years from now she's gonna win one in a year when she was in a movie yeah, yeah when it's some bullshit and somebody else is gonna not win and then it's like that cycle never ends because you're always late to give somebody their award and i suspect <laughs> that the whale in hindsight will be like um, like uh, Brendan Fraser's win, it's going to be like the last King of Scotland when Forrest Whitaker won. It's going to be like, it's going to be like, what the fuck? Like, this movie is dog, like, this movie is like basic as fuck. Like, this is not a good movie, or like, no one would ever re Have you seen The Last King of Scotland? I did. I thought it was fine the first time I watched it. He's good in it. Would you ever rewatch it? Never thought about it again. No. Thought about like it's just so weird. Where and maybe it's different. Maybe that's not a good comp because I think people will look at the whale maybe in ten years ago. Like 
that is a crash level, like fucking bad movie. Like that is an extremely fat phobic movie. The performances are tragic, but not in a way that's like tearjerker that they're tragic in a way of like, they should not be like who financed this. Is it a war crime? Like it should Darren Aronofsky be in jail. Like that movie is fucking bad. Um, and why is this man still making the same? He already made this movie. But it was the wrestler. Like he just makes the same movie over and over again. Yeah, no, yeah, that's it's so weird too. When because when I saw the trailer for it, and then it, it ends with a Darren Aronofsky film, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this seems like some bullshit that they like. I don't. It was and it, also that it was a twenty four was extremely weird because like the movie doesn't seem weird enough. And isn't mm -hmm. weird enough to like fall in on, under their umbrella. It was super strange, but it was a reclamation project for a guy who deserves it. Um, and yeah, there was a there there were perspectives out there that I that I really appreciated where people were like, you know, he had that, you know, 20 years thing happened to him where it's like Spielberg put him in these movies and well-intentioned or not didn't work out for him. And then Brendan Fraser had, you know it was blacklisted because he spoke up about being groped by uh, the president of the Hollywood foreign press and similarly got blackballed in the industry and shit like that and had to, you know, climb out of the muck and, and do doom patrol and like have projects that were sort of like very small potatoes until he was able to resurface again and, 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 and really win something. Um, and the irony is, Robot Man is an Emmy performance. It's a really good performance in Doom Patrol. No way anybody's going to give Doom Patrol any awards. No, but a twenty four, a twenty four presents yes, Doom you, Patrol. All, all you got to do, you're right, you're totally right, Teddy. You just slap an a twenty four label on that, and now the Academy pays attention. That sucks. You're totally right. <laughs> yeah, and and it was also like there is there it is boring to I stopped watching the 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 presentation because it's so boring to see this the just to see a sweep a sweep is boring as shit with the exception of brendan fraser like from screenplay on it's just the daniels going up there or like it's somebody from everything everywhere all at once and and you could also feel it in the room too people are just kind of like this sucks let's, <laughs> let's go home yeah. um, well, i'm happy to hear you say that to you enjoyed the film, but under but like separated from like why did it win awards? Um, because huh? <laughs> what a weird yeah. year. It's a super weird. But again, wonderful for these actors because they deserve it, even if they don't deserve it this year or for this project. Right, but they've been deserving it. It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. Um, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, is it's just bad? Stay off social media at all costs. If you go on social media, it will open a multiverse and it will only be one exception today. As of recording, Ides of March, Tumblr holiday, lots of good memes. Stay off of all of their social media. Yeah. Pop in for the Tumblr holidays and then delete yourself. Well, this it's is nice to hear you acknowledge the Ides of March. There it is. Well, you, you are in a multiverse because this is coming out on Friday, so it'll be March. 17th <laughs> so that's time people, travel but yeah people yeah. can't follow your advice also it is cool that they stabbed that guy so many times 
<laughs> there's a holiday about it. Uh, email us at isitsjustbad at gmail.com. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Is this just bad? Bad? It's like my pirates brought your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening your mind with a crowbar till you're woken, hitting Hydra, hailing hairs, had for time for hella reasons. We're more than winter soldiers, with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in cosmic comics culture. Dean is free tuition to the multiversity. Mouse is psycho teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears. Dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple man persuasive speech. Where Randy Savage rattles with immortal technique. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.